get yeah, you back I, again someday. And I, for, I, I forgive you for all the ignorant things you said about Kansas City earlier. I forgive <laughs> you. Brother. I'm I'm coming to Kansas City. You're gonna take me. <laughs> we're gonna get some barbecue. All right, welcome to season three of the Disciples Made podcast. This is the first episode of it. It is going to be a lot of fun. We are going to find out that truly your small groups don't need to suck. But what you told a friend of ours was that yours do. Some recent studies indicate that half of all church leaders believe that small groups are not making disciples. And we believe that small groups are working the way that you've designed them. And we want to help you leverage those groups to start a movement of disciple making. Rob Wagner's on the call with me today. Rob, we're bringing back a special friend, a special guest. Who is this guy? The Doug Paul. The Doug is, in my mind, a legend. In, in his own mind. <laughs> you know like you hear about like bigfoot chupacabra Loch Ness monster doug paul those are all things to be feared <laughs> I, pre- I prefer to be loved rob i want to be loved not feared <laughs> gandalf when, when uh, it comes to innovation uh when it comes to understanding disciple making culture tools strategy uh, one of the brightest minds and lives. It's not just head knowledge. He actually lives it that I truly deeply love and respect. Glad you're here, bud. Thanks for sharing today. Love what you guys are doing through catapult. All right. What, what is your title with catapult? Are you King of catapult? Um, no, I'm potentate not. I'm not. No. Catapult? <laughs> I feel like potentate is one that is never used enough. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, one of two managing partners. And so myself and Todd Milby co-lead catapult together. That's a dangerous combination of brain power right there. It is. It's dangerous. Uh, we can take that in a lot of different directions. <laughs> Both of you are uh, just tenacious uh, to get the job done. Uh, just, just highly committed, highly capable, highly intelligent. It's, it's exciting to see that kind of, horsepower being used for kingdom innovation and generation. So thank you for what you're doing. Doug, I've called this episode, the data is in on small groups Uh and multiplying disciples. The data is in. You've done some work. You recently released an infographic called Discipleship Snapshot, an honest look from the front lines and where we go from here. What prompted you to do the research and what was your goal in doing that whole thing? It had to be a lot of work. Uh, yeah, it was, it was some work, but I I think some of it is three, maybe four times a year. Our team chooses to focus in on a topic and just send out a survey to church leaders Hmm. to understand, you know, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, how they're experiencing, um, the church leadership, the world themselves, whatever it might be. So we've done ones on discipleship before mission, innovation, uh, a, whole, a whole number of topics. And so when we were looking at what we were going to do for uh, the first quarter of this year, it was like every every place that we've been at, it, it, by place, I mean all the Zoom rooms hmm. that we have, that we have been <laughs> that in. That we've traveled to. Yeah. <laughs> um, pajamas. 
all all had some collection of pastors who felt kind of sh- almost shocked at what they had been experiencing and seeing mm. in the last year from uh, the, the people in the pews. And so th- that, that's really where we decided to hone in on is how do how are pastors experiencing discipleship right now? Not in their own lives, but like when they're looking out in their churches, let's let's see what they're thinking and feeling. And so that's that's really what this focused in on. So I've got a it's a follow up quick question quickly um, because the the data we're about to look at is pretty stark. Like when you say fifty percent don't think that their groups are working, that's huge. And then you then you qualified it with COVID. So I'm just kind of wondering. I wonder what the perception of their answers would have been prior to February and March of last year, as to compared to uh, what we got on this. I don't I don't know if you can give us an answer to that or speculate as what that answer would be. I mean, all, all I can do is speculate. I right. think I think you would have had what's called a halo effect, which is they would have they would have been much softer on what it is that they were seeing. Mm. And some of it might be that they, they couldn't have seen it until, you know, that just something as um, catastrophic as COVID happens and it kind of rips the covers off the bed and you see what's underneath. Um, mm. That's a, that's an interesting metaphor that I just pulled out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not going to use that one again, but, uh, but, but I, I do think there is this moment where you're like, we're tearing off the bandaid. What's how's the, how's this thing healing or not healing? Hmm. And I think what a lot of people saw was, oh crap, like this is this is what's going on. This is where our people are at. And this is how our church is working or not working. Yeah, here's reality and what we thought we yeah. had as far as disciples leading these groups. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah and the, I just want to say though, though, it's not that the report is all bad news. No, no, uh, You not. start with some disciple making wins that seem to come out of some experiments. Yeah. Some kind of, brave or intrepid souls have been experimenting with and seeing some really encouraging things. So what were some of the biggest learnings about the wins for you? Um, I'm curious, what was encouraging, discouraging? Yeah. I, I think one of the, I think we just need to be like with where the church is at right now, we need to be encouraged whenever experiments are happening, Mm. like just full stop. We could just stop there. Like we should just be encouraged that experiments are happening. There are a lot of churches that tried stuff that they in, in a thousand years would never have tried mm. previous to last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether that is new forms of gospel expressions and it doesn't matter, it's like, because they had to, like, who cares if they, they didn't have to actually, lots of churches didn't, a lot of churches did though. And so whether that was house churches, micro churches, missional communities, um, all, all kinds of like sending missionaries out onto gaming platforms like Twitch or, mm. or whatever it was with the world that was online, there was a lot of experimentation that was happening. And that's, we, we should be very excited about that. We should be the um, most creative of everybody. We kind of have a creator that we recognize started all this. Yeah, we should be creative. Absolutely. I that. Yeah. I think that, the thing that I would couch that in and in all of whenever you take a survey, when you talk about the survey, you start immediately getting into interpretation and speculation. Mm -hmm. So I think that is important to say the survey doesn't tell me a lot of the stuff that I'm going to share, but as someone who works with pastors every day, I'm, I'm kind of trying to understand what some of the, what some of the data says. I, my, it's not a fear, but a concern would be, one year of experimentation 
and then watching pastors be very fatigued. Mm. Um, it does make me ask, like, will the experimentation continue when things, whatever getting on the other side of COVID means? So I, I do yeah. think by the fall, things are going to be pretty settled. Um, and by 2022, I think things will feel probably like they did in 2019. We might have less people, but the question is, will we keep experimenting? Because this is a new muscle for a lot of yep. pastors and leaders. And the question is this, will you keep growing the muscle? Hmm. Yeah, that, you know, Doug, it's interesting. I'm just going to add this in here. This is bonus Bonus content. Bonus app. <laughs> yeah, content. Brian and I are actually doing a series of webinars right now that are called Go Beyond that are driven by the exact same concern because COVID hit, we had to hit a pause button on whatever our current strategies were. Then there was a quick pivot into some new strategies. It might've been getting streaming services online or it could have been microchurch. These things that you're saying, like we got these experiments going, but... Uh, it is great news. The vaccine is being distributed. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There may be some return to normalcy, but perhaps blasting forward in the same direction we were moving before we hit the pause button might be the most dangerous thing that we could do. Like we should actually be leery of going back to normal. Normal might actually leave the best opportunity Jesus has for us unseized and and we can let the what was the great pause button become a great reset potentially it's the greatest opportunity to reset and restart that church leaders have had in our lifetime so i i just want to encourage all of you that are listening i know you're tired and uh, i'm tired too um but don't let that cause a slumber that causes you to miss really what's an unparalleled opportunity to make some significant resets and learn from the experiments and extend them and keep them going. Doug, the problem with podcasts is people can't, people can't see my head nodding. Yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> like just nodding vigorously the entire time. Like, I, yeah, I don't have what, what Rob said is, is spot on. I love it. Well, Doug, let me get into the, the the thing that intrigued me the most about uh, that infographic you put out, the part that caught my eye was the leader's number one answer to what is the biggest gap in your church. In fact, uh, the PDF that you put out is what, seven, eight pages long. And I, I cut this one out as a single page and I have it on the desktop of my computer because it haunts me. I'm assuming it haunts a lot of people. So it's just something I want to have in front of me. But, you know, the question is, what's the biggest gap in your church? And uh, when it comes to disciple making and 43%, almost half said their small groups weren't working. Now we had you on this podcast uh, in season two. And on that, we both commented on how we believe that groups really are working in the way that they were designed to work, but they're answering this in a different way. And what way are they saying small groups aren't working and uh, if you can work it back in, how are you saying they were working uh, the last time we were on? So I, th this is a big, like small groups aren't working. When we, when we say working, what do we mean? And I think in some ways, every pastor gets to paint back what it is that they mean by that. Mm. But I think because the survey is specifically about discipleship, we can assume that it's about, they're, they're commenting on whether or not they're working for making 
more mature disciples who can go and make more mature disciples. Um, and th- that's what they're seeing is that small groups don't do that in, in, at least in the way that they are currently constructed. Um, and I know we talked about this in season two. And so if you'll permit me to be a, a little bit of a broken record, I think, Oh, I, I know. <laughs> Let's just shut it down now. More um, Doug. <laughs> I, I think I think small groups are actually they work exceptionally well for what they were designed to do, which was to close the back door of the church. Small groups are an assimilation tool, and so they were they were created. Hey, Doug Paul, I I like to call it relational flypaper. I I came up with that phrase. Did oh. you just take that from me? <laughs> I came up with that phrase. <laughs> That was like my next point. It's it's people come through. The, the, it came to life in the seeker sensitive movement and people would come to the Sunday morning service and then they would leave if they didn't get tethered to relationships. Some people might call that relational flypaper. Very innovative, um, creative people, of course. And so that's what that's what small groups that, that I, I know that, that's what small groups were designed to do. And they actually do a really good job of that. And then over the last 20 years, we've thrown things into it so that it's just become a kitchen sink approach. It's like, well, mm. we also want it to disciple people. We also want it to do biblical community. We also want it to do missional living. We also want it. We also want it. We also want it. And they're just not designed to do all those things. Yeah, and it kind of actually usually bounces off is what happened. If I was a small group leader and then I kept getting those job descriptions added every quarter or every year or every (laughs) half a year, I'm like, uh, I want out. Can can I be out? (laughs) I'm not trained. I'm not qualified. I'm not called. I need help, help, help. Well, I even saw something... I mean, this is a little while ago. I mean, this may have been 10 years ago, but it was a study that said even the most competent small group leaders can't get their small group to multiply three times um, because they're not built. Like you're not built to take a group of six to eight people who have become very close friends and then just keep ripping them apart. At some point you're like, you know what? I kind of like these people. I would like to be with them. And they're not going to keep multiplying. And so there has to be, we have to design something different. Yeah. Well, Doug, we want to jump forward in a second to the number two answer, but we're going to put that in the parking lot for a second because we want to hit the third and fourth biggest answers, which equaled about 30% of that gap. And those were, uh, one of the responses was discipleship is seen as optional. Uh, the other one was people aren't discipling each other. So those answers raise a few questions. Uh, it puts the onus of change on the people rather than the church leaders themselves, I think. So we're wondering, did you did you give the church leaders multiple answers to choose from? Yes. Or, or were okay. So those weren't like what they came up with, and then you had to categorize them. Yeah, they got they got and there were more answers than that in the infographic. We just gave what the top ones were. So, so what's your response then to kind of, if you aggregate those two together? To me, it makes complete sense. And I mean, like, and if you just want to get the full download on this, just read everything Dallas Willard has ever written. (laughs) Um, But I think, I, I think it is when people are saying yes to the gospel, 
what they think they're saying yes to is fire insurance. Like it's about in the future, someday I'm going to die and I would like to go to the good place and not the bad place. And so they're, what, what they're not understanding is the best invitation they're ever going to receive in the present is to become a disciple of Jesus. There is not a better invitation in your entire life, but that's not what they said yes to. And so I think we actually have a gospel problem here. We're offering people an invitation to something that is woefully like small compared to the invitation that Jesus is offering the disciples that we see in the early church. And so when we're like, hey, here in the present, what if you did X, Y, and Z? Well, of course, they're not going to do X, Y, and Z. That's not what they said yes to. Um, because the, anything that is about a gospel that only speaks to the future really doesn't make sense in the present. And discipleship is always about the present. It's about what's happening right now. And so Amen. discipleship is seen as optional. And if if one of the big responses as well, 11%, are people aren't discipling other people, again, that's we we kind of understand you can't be a disciple who doesn't make disciples. Like, it's just not... That isn't what Jesus had in his mind when he inaugurated this movement that was going to change the world and all of creation. Amen. But that's how that that is how we've set the, this thing up when we talk about the gospel. You and I, I, I just want to say I don't think it's possible to underestimate the importance that the the thing that will initiate and sustain this change is it's a renewal of our understanding of the gospel. Like instead of this wafer thin, locale, <laughs> radically reduced version of the gospel, which is basically about saved souls, we need the whole story of the gospel, which is creation, fall, redemption, restoration, revealing the person of Jesus, which is about the whole expression of the gospel, which is gospel presence and gospel demonstration and gospel proclamation. And then also the whole life. It's about moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus in every area of life. And it was Dallas Willard. I think it was the first time I read it. He was like, Jesus is right about everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's the <laughs> only know, he's... one flying right side up in an upside down world. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and that's one of the things I'm actually encouraged about. And I think there has been, I think a, a, a gospel renewal movement, like with people like Tim Keller, N.T. Wright, Dallas Willard. And it's actually, it's not, it's spreading. It's becoming much more common to have a much more holistic understanding of the gospel. And I think it's one of the reasons now we're significantly having this discipleship conversation. Yeah. It's becoming more mainstream. Yeah. Cause I think when you, when you disentangle cultural Christianity from these, these conversations we're having around the gospel and discipleship, it really shows you that the gospel is in, in the, the cultural sense of it is quite thin and it's, it has depths that ha have yet to be fully plummeted yet. I mean, like that's how deep the gospel is for what it can do. Oh, yeah. And I think it's more costly now to say that you're a Christian for people who are younger millennials, I mean, heck all millennials and people who are Gen Z and younger. And that gospel, if it's that costly has to be meaningful. Right. Mm -hmm. And right now, like not someday, but right now, it has to be meaningful for the changing of my life and everything around me. Hmm. Oh, man, all this is true. I want to go back and, and come at this question again. Um, 
because there was a part of that answer that really is unsettling. Like the whole premise of this season is your small groups don't have to suck, right? Uh, but I saw in this 30%, the 19 plus 11% that there was basically a combination of these two answers, a 30% chance that your small groups will suck after this is over. And here's why it seemed the answer seemed to relegate the responsibility of the lack of discipleship on the people and not on the leadership. And, you know, I've kind of rightly or wrongly accepted this, uh, premise that everything does rise and fall on leadership. Uh, if the followers aren't going, it's because you aren't leading them well. And did you get a sense of that uh, when you were analyzing this data? Did you have a similar, like, uh-oh, there's there's a 30% chance that if the, the, the responsibility remains on the people to get it right instead of me, like, when I was in a church that was transitioning, you know, they had some people in the church wanted to go from per, uh, traditional to purpose driven. Well, I could, I could fuss at the people for not getting it, <laughs> but then yeah. I planted my own church and then I couldn't fuss at anybody for, cause I was there from the beginning. And there's this tendency for us to kind of, uh, uh, pass the buck on the responsibility for why things are the way they are. And that's kind of what I felt with that 30%. And to me, as long as, no one's accepting the responsibility for the change to happen. It won't get done. I saw a 30% gap of it not getting better with this. Either change my mind or, or help me understand what's going on here. I think both of these things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, we do a lot of work with culture building and culture making. And I, I, the, the way that, you know, my wife and I, my wife's a cultural anthropologist. And so the way that we talk about culture in, in Casa de Paul, um, is, <laughs> is culture is whatever is normal for a group of people. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just what you, that, that is ultimately what culture is. And so what culture looks like in Kansas city, if you're a chiefs fan probably looks really bizarre. And like, I, I, I think not, not, really enticing to me as someone who lives in Richmond, Virginia, who doesn't particularly like the chiefs that much. Um, but you have all of these rituals that define Kansas city culture and like eating barbecue and all these things that is normal. And that's, and I think that's a key thing for culture is understanding like it's what's normal for a group of people and where it starts with the leadership is leaders are the ones who are going to be they're going to be like setting the benchmarks of what that culture is meant mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. And if they, if they aren't putting that in the water, that it is normal to be a disciple maker and to embrace a life of discipleship unto Jesus, then, then that's where we have to start. I think is they're the ones like it is perfectly normal in your average American church to just not be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. Like that is normal. And that starts with leaders at the same time, we do have to recognize, and we see this over and over again in the Gospels, where some people just aren't up for it. Yeah, and that's that's going to that that is normal as well, and has to be okay. The question I think is this: Will leaders continue to spend the majority of their time working with the people who say no, Ooh. and not the majority of their time with the people who are saying yes? Ah. Uh. And I, what I found, Doug, just personally, is that people are hungry for a real yes. 
hungry for a real yes. yes. And uh, that's a different season, different podcast for a different time. Next question. The second biggest part of the disciple making gap was a lack of a clear pathway for discipleship. That was 24% all by itself. So that's almost as much as the next two combined. Yeah. And this kind of seems odd to me since so much has been written about and spoken about pathways or funnels or, or, you know, all these other things. So what are you seeing as the primary issue with the pathways that have been created? Cause I know that they've been created. I see them all over the place. I hear them talked about, are they not really pathways, but assimilation methods? Um, yes. I mean, it's just that. Okay. I mean, it, it's, if we're going to, if we're going to like, if I were to like pin it on one thing, I would say we didn't learn the lesson from Willow Creek's reveal study. Hmm. That, Unpack that a little bit. So, one of, I mean, there are many lessons to learn from it, but one of them was the people who were most involved in the church were the people who were most likely to leave the church because they they were not growing spiritually anymore the more involved in programming they were. Hmm. Because the programs themselves are not built to deepen your relationship with Jesus or to, or to teach you things. The programming is meant to keep you in the church. Hmm. That's what that's it's, it's an assimilation process into the machine of the church. Not, it's not something that was built to at, at, from the outset, like, Hey, this thing exists so that you grow in your faith with Jesus Christ. And then you will go and teach others to do the same. Hmm. That's, that's not what was built. An assimilation process. What was was what was built, and so I I think one of the one of the big glaring things from this one page I think that stands out more than anything else that I see over and over again, just in work with lots of leaders is leaders are really good at telling people to do things, but they're actually quite poor at showing them how to do those things. Hmm. And so I mean we can tell people to read their Bible. That thing is gigantic. I mean, like it's huge. And by chapter 19, it looks like God is cool with rape and genocide. Mm -hmm. And in France, they call prayer schizophrenia because you are talking to voices that no one else can see. Like there, there is a real practical nuts and bolts nature to disciple making mm -hmm. that we as leaders have to really drill down on. And I do think there are, there are ways in which we think that is sometimes beneath us. Or maybe even a little scary because, I mean, don't, don't go back just to the, the two-word phrase that is the title of our ministry, Disciples Made. Made. Uh, the reason I decided to create something 10 years ago was what I saw was what one would title Disciples in the Perpetual Making instead of Disciples that have been made. And you just said yeah. it. You said it in a more descriptive, like kind of blown out phrase there. We... we we basically create things that make you continue to need us for the next chapter. Uh, and that's a disciple in the perpetual making. Jesus came down and he served for what, two and a half, three and a half years, depending on how you uh, read the timelines. And then he went back to the father because he had accomplished the mission in the disciples. They were made enough for the spirit's presence to be able to guide them into all things. And so, uh, what's the one shift, perhaps that's it, is a different uh, perspective, go from in perpetually in the making to a made, but beyond that, what's one shift that most leaders need to make with their current pathways for them to really become an effective pathway and not simply an assimilation process? Ugh, one shift. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
we're going to talk about five ways to open this thing up throughout the whole season. So sure. don't feel like you got to own the thing like, so from a well, global I'll, perspective. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's a shift, but I would say it's, it's kind of a shift. We, we start thinking about like, we need outcomes based discipleship. Oh, I love this. And so we got to start with like, what does a, what is a maturing believer, like a disciple of Jesus look like, like, what is their life feel like? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? What are the things that they're doing? What's the essence of that? And then, then we ask the question, well, how do, how does, how do they become that kind of person? Like, what are the things that get them from A to B is like, it's not A to B and you're done, but it's just like you said, like, you've got enough that you're, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to run the race. Like you will have, you will persevere if Mm. you do that. Mm. Um, And so in order, I think that's where you got to start. And then as you're, whatever it is that you're designing, building, or learning to do from someone else in, in a discipleship pathway, you got, you have to be ruthless in bringing the two Dallas Willard questions. What is our plan for making disciples? And does our plan work? Mm. Does it actually work? And the conversation guys that we're having right now, like if we were to boil it down to like one little thing, it would be this, it's not working. And that's actually, it's, it's not, it's okay. And not okay. It's okay. In the sense that like grace, it's okay. Like Jesus has got this. The gospel is not threatened. God is sitting on his throne. Um, but it's not okay in some, some way that this, this is our primary task. No doubt. Amen. If this in happens, my, uh, comment earlier, there's never been probably a great opportunity for sure to restart, to reset. And just to add one thought on top of what you're saying, Doug, I, I think a lot of church leaders who are listening to this, um, their their intent was actually discipleship with the programs they were designing. And the, the thing that I think has been lost to us that we're starting to recover now is, okay, what are the ingredients that need to go into a relational environment? Mm-hmm that will actually make it an intentional disciple-making environment. So here's a dirty little secret. A program can actually become an intentional disciple-making environment if you know what in- the ingredients are yes. to put in it. Yeah. you can. And people think they're signing up for a program. <laughs> but you can actually make disciples if you know what those ingredients are. Yes. And I, I, so that gets back to what you're talking about, you know, which is, well, I got to, then I have to start doing the work and going, okay, what is a disciple? What are my core theological convictions? For us, we have five. It has to be outcome focused. Character times calling, fruit of the spirit, gifts of the spirit. Secondly, it's got to be habit fueled. Like obedience needs to become a habit and then there's spiritual habits you need to learn. Thirdly, it's got to be formed in community. You're not going to do this alone in isolation watching videos or just reading a book. Jesus had 12, he had three. It's got to be mission fixated. In other words, you have to be engaged in mission and service. And most of that needs to be where you live, work, learn, and play. And then finally, it's content flavored. Now, all the disciple-making programs are typically content-focused, fixated, data dump, poured in, and we're actually setting people up for more failure on Judgment Day because now they're accountable for more knowledge that they're not actually doing anything with. (laughs) So the Mm -hmm. content's got to be appropriate for whatever level of the journey they're on. Are they exploring? Are they developing? Are they growing in influence? So it's not rocket science, but learning those, those are our core convictions with disciples made. That's what it's going to take for an intentional disciple making environment. Every church leader who's listening to this 
um, you got to wrestle with that. Yeah, and if this that. is your first uh, time joining us on the Disciples Made podcast, our entire season one is all about unpacking those five pillars of our IDEs. And you can take those pillars and you can start adding them one at a time to your current disciple-making environments and get there without buying a thing. So that's just kind of fun. So check that out. Doug, I'm going to ask you another question. Oh, go ahead, man. Well, I was just going to say, I, I do think it's important because it's to me, it's not surprising if you get the three of us together, we're going to start waxing poetic, bordering on prophetic on, on this stuff. And actually, I do have a lot of, I do think we, we need to be careful around People, um, I think uh, almost every pastor I meet, like the thing that they want is for people's lives to be changed. Yeah. That's what they want. And we are all, including us, like we are all, we all find ourselves in the, the, the experiences that we have that have shaped us. And we just know what we know. And most of us just grew up in cultural programmatic Christianity mm -hmm. and if, if you feel like you're having like a Kairos moment or a God moment around this right now, like the good news is that nothing is going to be wasted. God is going to use Amen. all of those things, sweep them in his hands yes. and stitch together something that is new and fresh for what it is that he wants to do with discipleship where you're at. Nothing is going to be wasted. And so I think it is easy sometimes to like hit leaders over the head with a hammer. Um, but like, I need to be hit with the hammer just as much as anyone, but I also need grace just as much as anyone. And yeah. so I think and there does need to be a pastoral thing in this as well. Amen. Amen. And also both catapult and disciples made, we are literally here to wash your feet. Hmm. Like we, we want to help. And, and if you need help creating discipleship, culture, pathways, tools, all that, we want to serve you. And we try to make a lot of this. That's why we're doing this podcast. We want to be there for free so you can get it and add value to your life. But Doug, I want to ask you, um, you wrap up the infographic with this sort of mixture of hope and pain. Um, the hopeful thing is 97% of the church leaders believe the Great Commission is the primary mission of the church. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good news. 82% believe that changing the disciple making process is actually the most important thing their church can do in the next year. So I think that's huge. That is really important. That yeah. was the most, to me, the most encouraging thing of, of all the data. Oh, yeah. 82%. So the number one thing that they wanted to win at in the next year was, was doing something to change their process. Mm. Yeah, it is so good. But roughly half of those leaders are not confident in their church's ability to make disciples in the future. Uh, why do you think they answered that way? Are they admitting, like, I'm not trained? Do you think they're blaming themselves or they're blaming their people? Or it's like, oh, the culture, we'll never get this done because of the culture. I'm just curious. I know you don't I, necessarily know, but what are your theories? Yeah, if I were to guess, I think it's, it's, it's a mixture of things that are colliding at one time. So I think on one level, you've got, I mean, I was, I was literally talking to a pastor this morning Who's like this is? I mean, I mean, and, and he is—he he is an incredibly good leader. I mean, this one church has planted, I think, thirty churches wow. in the last fifteen years. Um, they've intentionally, you know, you know the, the the catchphrase like it's not about your seating capacity; it's about your sending capacity. capacity. Um, 
but they really embodied it. And he was like, this has been my hardest year in ministry, not because of COVID, but because I've seen like the spiritual depth or lack thereof of the people who I thought were actually spiritually mature. And so I think there's a piece of it that's like, it's gutting. Like there's this, there's a gutting piece of it, like where there, there's a real shaking, I think that's happening. I do think there's a, people are, are pastors are answering from a place of fatigue right now hmm. where, I mean, no one, no, everyone thought COVID was probably going to be a 5k when in fact it was a marathon and they trained for the 5k. Um, and then they hit the 10k mark. They're like, it was only a 10k. And then 2021 hit and we're like, oh no, we're still here. Mm. Um, and then you have all the cultural stuff that's happening at every level within our country right now. Um, you have, you have the fact that culture is reinventing every 18 months. No one, no one feels like they can keep up with that. So you have this great collision of things. And so when you're like, do you feel like the great commission is the most important thing? Absolutely. Do you feel confident about Mm. your ability to move into the future with that? The majority are saying absolutely not. Um, now that could just be a moment in time, and I think that's important. Like the survey was taken um, a couple of weeks after January sixth happened uh, in the nation's capital, and a whole a whole host of things are happening, and so that could influence it as well. But I, I think I, I think there's a collision that pastors are feeling inside themselves right now. Mm-hmm. We need to start wrapping this up. Honor your time, Doug. Thank you for being with us here today. One of the things, there's two two things that have been said, two ideas that are colliding in my mind right now. Number one, we need to affirm the fact that pastors are still aching to see people's lives changed. Yeah. And the data shows that. That's awesome. The right motive is there. Woo! And, um... And we, and we, and and there was this other thought of, we want to make sure that the leaders that we're talking to that are on this call recognize that it really is up to them to lead into a change, whatever that is. And yes, that involves other people having the making decisions. But, uh, and the reason I want to put those two together is because we believe that a, a certain strategy that Jesus gives us really is the key to leading into that change where those life change moments are happening more as the norm and less as the exception. And to, and for me, like that moment was way back in 2010 when Jesus said, I gave you a multiplication sign. You have turned it into an addition sign. You're good. You think you're good with the addition, but that's not the tool. And I remember going, Oh, I don't know how then to do that or I would have I'm pedaling as fast as I can I'm pedaling as smart as I can pedaling as strong as I can we had just started a hundred new small groups at once and so I thought like the addition sign was kicking it you know like that that math's pretty good compared to you know a lot of the the churches in our time but my response is was this I don't know how to do that and I repent for what I thought I knew And I repent for thinking that I could do it without asking you how to do it. There was that moment um, of repentance that led to a a new way, which has led to literally thousands of 
multiplying disciples uh, in the wake. That's why we have the, a thing. That's why we call it dis- disciples. We have a thing. And, uh, and the, the phrase that keeps chiming itself over uh, disciples made is the phrase, obedience is greater than competence. Obedience is greater than competence. Bring your skill set. Bring everything you got. Bring everything you've learned. But for a moment, you might want to shelve a bit of that and just say, Jesus, when it comes to multiplying disciples, when it comes to the things that we're talking about here on this call and other conferences or things that I've been to that say similar things, what do I not know yet that I would only discover as I abide in you and, um, and invite you to lead me uh, directly? So... That was a lot to say as far as a key, but um, the whole thing here is about small groups and a, and a role small groups can play in that process. So wrapping up, in your opinion, how big of a role do you think these small groups play in the future of multiplying disciples in the local church? And um, what's gonna what's it gonna take church leaders to accomplish it? I mean, my my personal opinion is that small groups will continue to be incredibly important to the life and the flourishing of the church and by the church, I don't mean the machine. I mean, people who are the family of God being sent on mission together as they grow in faith in Jesus. Um, the, the thing that will be mission critical if small groups are going to be successful is going to be, uh, leader equipping. You cannot Mm -hmm. have like, we've, we've got to shift from, Look, I mean, like I can remember that this is like my first ministry job. I can, I can see it. I can hear it. I can, I said it on the stage uh, where it's like, look, if you have a house and a DVD player and you can open up your house one day a week, you too can be a small group leader. Um, and, and, and it was the, 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 the competency of facilitation and just opening your house was all that was necessary. Mm-hmm. And we've got to, we've got to, sh- we got to bury that. Mm-hmm. Um, facilitating is not like, it, that's a skill set. It's just not one of the most important skill sets for discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is something to really grabbing on to who are, when we think about our small group leaders, how do we make sure that they have a life that's worth imitating? Like that if there were six more of them running around because those are the people or eight more running around that look like them because they're the people that have the most direct influence over, that that would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it's got, I think it's got to start with leader equipping um, both for their interior world, for what God is doing in them, and then their exterior world, what God wants to do through them. Boy, I love that. That actually serves as a preview to episode two. I remember when I started, when I stopped trying to grow small groups and I became passionate about developing disciples that would be, that, that were small group leaders. It's like, man, I just want to, I just want to change leaders. If I can get more and better leaders, I got more and better groups. Doug. You know what, Brian, would be a novel idea is if like you had an intentional disciple making environment that was made up of small group leaders Hmm. and you were discipling all your small group leaders to be disciple makers and now you're doing inception because now you have disciple makers leading every small group and they're doing it in a way Hmm. that your ide does it 
It's kind of amazing. I got these people uh, into a followers made where we had uh, triads and uh, the habits of Bible engagement and prayer and accountability. And all of a sudden they go back to their group and say, we're going to break up into triads and we're going to start a Bible reading plan together. Uh, you start uh, training the leader. You start training <laughs> the body and they're becoming those people that others want to follow. Rob was going to ask you if there was anything left you had to say or ask Doug before we signed off. Uh, but did you just do it? Well, I mean, that thank was pretty you for strong. the work that you're doing, man. <laughs> Having that high level view of what's going on is so helpful, so clarifying, and it's motivating. Yes, you know, it, it helps the body be aware. It's kind of like getting the blood pressure reading. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, here's how things are actually going, which then motivates us to take action. It's like, okay, we need to start running and eat right. And and I know that takes a lot of time and energy. And I know when I got it and saw the infographic, I was like, whoa, thank you. Yes. So I think there's thousands of church leaders that are saying that. Yeah. Labor of love. Doug, so grateful uh, to be a friend of yours. So grateful for the time you've invested into this podcast. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for who you are. Can we get yeah, you back I, again someday? I forgive you for all the ignorant things you said about Kansas City earlier. I forgive you. Brother. <laughs> I'm I'm coming to Kansas City. You're gonna take me. <laughs> we're gonna get some barbecue. It's oh yeah. Oh, I thought I thought you didn't like any of those things. I was saying I'm a you Dallas don't have Cowboys to explain fan. yourself. I don't like the Chiefs. You've got to explain yourself more if you're a Cowboys fan, though. <laughs> <laughs> I can love explain that very simply. God's team. God's team. I forgive team. you. I love you. I forgive you. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time on the Disciples Made Podcast. We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com. <laughs>